welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode of the podcast, I interview Harry Margulies. He is an author and a social media personality who offers hot takes on religion, theology, politics, and society. He is a non-believer in any god, but he's also prepared to believe if sufficient evidence is ever presented. He's also in favor of free speech, stopping short of hate speech, and excitement of violence. I hope you enjoy the show. Solidarity forever. Absolutist. How would you describe yourself, Harry? Are you an agnostic? Are you an atheist? Listen, I think the difference is rather small in the sense that I define myself as an atheist on the take that it is extremely unlikely that there is a God. But of course, if somebody comes with evidence to me to prove that there is a God, uh, or if God, who knows how to introduce himself, would do so, I would accept it. And I, I often get the question, so what would convince you? And my answer is often, your thoughts and your personal experiences are not provable, so they won't. But why don't you pray for your God to heal all the sick in the world overnight and empty the hospitals, and at the same time regrow all the missing limbs on the people who have lost them, and then in the morning I will think there might be reason to believe that there is a God. What do you think... The idea of God, what does that mean to you? If I say God, what, what, does, what does that mean to you? Is that intelligible? What is God? Who is God? When people say God, what do they mean? Well, everybody means their own God because that's by definition who they have. God is the one who um, some believe have created everything, who is responsible for my living, who is responsible for morality. And, and the funny thing about morality is God of the Bible introduces himself as one of the most immoral and amoral characters. And that is the, the checkpoint for what morality is. So in my mind, God is an invention by people, different gods in different geography, different gods in different denominations, uh, because it is comfortable. And um, which God would need parents to indoctrinate their children differently in different geographies instead of just convincing us which God would need Islam and Christianity to be spread by the sword in just letting us know he exists. He could. So what do you, what do you say about, let's say, there's a lot of evil in the world. We're gonna, we can kind of get to a discussion on evil. 
There's a lot of evil in the world, though. Let's say a mother, uh, I mean, what's going on in Palestine and in Israel right now. Let's say a mother loses her son, you know, in some violent act. But she has a belief in God. And her belief is that there's going to be a heaven. And I will be reunited with my son one day. I will see him again. And maybe that keeps her going. You know, that sort of thing. So what do you think about that kind of story, that kind of anecdote? What would you say to someone like that? I mean, is it okay for them to have that belief? Do you think it's your duty to maybe convince someone that God doesn't exist? Or, you know, what about that specific scenario? I mean, I guess it can have maybe some good, you know, for people to, that want to believe that maybe in, in, in some afterlife uh, that they will be reunited with someone that they lost, that they love, you know, that sort of stuff? First of all, the belief doesn't make it real. If it helps that woman to have that belief, I'm okay with it. What I would say in a general way is, where the hell was God the moment before it happened? So if you think that your prayers will change God's mind, the way I have put it on my Twitter account is the following. While the Pope prays for peace with Ukraine, the Russian Orthodox Church prays for the utter destruction of Ukraine. And God receives these two prayers at the same time. What does he do with them? Exactly the same as he does with one set of prayers reaching to him. Nothing. <laughs> I remember a quip from uh, Charles Barkley. There was a there's a fad in the NFL football. Uh, Tim Tebow, very religious, was always praying before the games. And Barkley said something like, God doesn't love Tim Tebow more than the player on the other side of the field. You know, that sort of thing. So yeah. if two play, if two players are both praying to God, you know, why, why should they choose one over the other? You know, so yeah. anyways. So, so can I just give you one more answer to this when you brought up the Middle East? And I don't want to start becoming political, but to the Jews who now feel that they are the chosen people still. I would say, why didn't God give them Switzerland instead of the land surrounded by 130 million enemies who want nothing but their destruction? So again, if you praise God for a victory, why do you even need to go out and fight? Why isn't God there to look after you? And um, it is disturbing to me the same way as the other way around. On the other way around, we have Allah and Muhammad that is looking after them. And both these sets of prayers do nothing but bring violence to each other. Um, although, as I think we have discussed a little bit, the point is that if you have a religion that comes from the Old Testament, which is horrendously violent, but the peoples in the Old Testament on which genocide was prescribed no longer exist, at least you have a saving grace today. But if you have a religion where everybody who doesn't belong to it is an enemy, you have a current problem. And that could remind me of when the church once upon a time had the power in the West before secular forces took them on. They had no hesitation to burn people alive in front of an audience. Imagine if they would have had internet. They would have had no hesitation to boast it around the world. And so evil is evil. And it's even more evil when you are prepared to proudly boast it, live stream it, even the Nazis knew not to do that. And that, this is how crazy religion can make you and what acts religion and belief can make you do. In our, in our pre-show discussion, too, we, we talked about there's a lot more room in hell than there is heaven. Any, anyone yeah. that doesn't believe in your God is going to hell. And I think that God is very vindictive. You know, if this is all a test, our finite time on earth, he's testing us for some 
um, perpetual afterlife. You know, maybe you go to hell and have uh, just a horrible experience. You're tortured for all eternity, or maybe you follow the rules and get to heaven. You know, in the afterlife. Um, but what so, you miss here, MC, what you miss here is that that is only the rules according to your denomination. By definition, every Christian ends up in Muslim hell, and every Muslim in Christian hell. So who is spared? Nobody. Uh, so, and between the denominations, Catholics and Protestants have no love lost for each other in the name and for the love of the same Jesus. And the same goes for um, Shia and Sunni Muslims. They also hate each other gods and between their denominations. And everyone believes that they only are the ones or the right ones. And the fact that violence has to be committed in the name of the Lord is disturbing to me because that's sort of in a way saying that God cannot fend for himself. He could just have convinced us instead of sending out Christians and Muslims with a sword to spread the faith on his behalf. Instead of having parents indoctrinate their children into a certain belief and then those regions using the sword to, to um, go after us and force us into uh, their belief system. The Americas were fought by the sword. Most of where Islam is spread has been spread by violence similarly. And if Allah now is supposedly the last, given us the last and final revelation. And, and here is a problem. In the Christian and Jewish faiths, God did not write the Bible. He did not dictate it directly. So there's a big difference in that. There's a little bit of wiggle room because he inspired, except, of course, for the Ten Commandments, which he wrote on stone tablets himself and couldn't even get straight that it was only one when he said, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, other gods, God says there are other gods, get with it. So that leaves Islam with much more wiggle, less wiggle room, sorry, to interpret the holy text because they are deemed to be God's final and direct word. And that makes them the same as with Christianity. They have to defend biological impossibilities, virgin birth, rising from the dead, witnesses that don't exist. Witnesses that crawled out of the grave for many to see when they wandered around in Jerusalem. And even the person who is responsible for spreading Christianity or starting the seat of Christianity on the road to Damascus, Paul had a vision, never met Jesus, but he, he saw him after and invented 500 witnesses that also saw him. Now, similarly, in, in Islam, we have the problem that all the revelations that Muhammad had, one person. So instead of God telling us everybody, which he could, he could have written in fire in the sky, the whole Quran in all languages, he didn't. He had one person over 23 years in a cave. He got the revelations and then he came out and said, ah, I have to marry your daughter. She's six years old and I'm not going to pursue the marriage. I'm not going to have sex with her till she is nine. That is now considered reasonable Pedophilia, in a way, is now considered reasonable. Many apologists have that. There are verses that say that the young girl doesn't even have to be, uh, have had a period yet. So, you know, you, religion makes you do the stupidest things. That comes from Hitchin, by the way. Christopher <laughs> okay, Hitchin. nice. He's great. Uh, Chomsky, my favorite philosopher, writer, author, uh, he said that the Bible is the most genocidal book in the literary canon. So uh, I never read much of the Bible. What I did read and religion generally never really appealed to me. 
Um, you know, I, I went to church a few times, uh, but yeah, just it, it was never something that I was ever into. Uh, reading the Bible was never anything I've done, maybe except in small sections. Uh, and what I've read from it and what I've read other authors talk about, it's not really well written. Um, there's a lot of uh, violence in it. Again, the most genocidal book in the literary canon, according to Chomsky, who has read it. Um, also, lots of mentions of slavery seems to justify slavery. Uh, it, it says something about obeying your master and you will get to heaven. What about all the terrible things in the Bible? I mean, that's, I guess, the main one, my focus, since, um, you know, uh, America is predominantly a Christian country. So that's, I guess, the majority of my experience. But, the, of course, the Abrahamic religions, the Quran, I think you said it's equally as violent in our pre-Paul. So what about all the mentions to violence, genocide, slavery, uh, seems to justify in those um, biblical texts. Well, it's, it is only because people sent their thoughts up to God. They needed slaves. Slaves have been going on for um, many, many years. Slavery was rampant in Africa long before it came to America. In the North African states, the Barbary pirates had about one million European slaves under them. Uh, they were defeated by Jefferson, who refused to pay ransom. And when they were negotiating in London, the ambassador for them said on the question, what gives you the right to do this? Well, we are Muslims. We have the right. So, I mean, if, if that is the, because they believe it's God's final and direct world and it gives them that right, um, it's fairly terrible. I mean, you, you have a verse that they often cite, and the verse is, there's no compulsion in religion. And I would posit that against the verse of the sword, which says that after the holy month, when you have defeated an enemy, you can kill them. You can give them a choice to stay alive if they convert to the only true faith. And if they don't stay alive, if they don't want to that, you can give them another option, that is to pay a special tax called the jizya. And here comes the religion of understanding and peace. And you have to do it in such a subordinate way that the master and everybody else sees that you are nothing or next to nothing. And they can change their mind later on and say, nah, we don't want to have you anymore, so your jizya is not enough. You have to go. It is really so that Islam, that means um, you, know, you have to subjugate yourself to that. They also want to subjugate the rest of the world who are the enemy. That's the problem compared to Christianity. And, uh, which is they feel that everybody has to be Muslim. There is something called Dar al-Islam, which is the house of Islam. The house of Islam are the Muslims, and Dar al-Harb are the ones who are outside, and they are the enemies of Islam. So you can figure out the comparison between the tribes and peoples that were considered to be up for genocide and what's happening in Islam where non-Muslims are the target which we in some way see with the violence occurring. It's a long discourse here. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're great. You're very knowledgeable. It's a great discussion. Um, I think generally I would think uh, from everything I've seen and read about religion, it's a, 
it's a net negative on the world. I think it does provide, you know, like that little anecdote I talked about in the beginning, maybe some hope, uh, you know, for the future, I guess, for people. Um, but I think that also um, there's a lot of talk about like obedience in the Bible. Follow these laws, you know, or follow these commandments and you will get to heaven one day, that sort of thing. Uh, I think that the reason it's so popular and it's losing popularity throughout the world, especially with younger people, uh, I think the... I saw in Europe especially, there's a lot more, I think uh, agnosticism and atheism is going to be the majority in Europe, if it's not already, very soon. Uh, and it's also, I mean, America is a very radically um, fundamentalist religious society, maybe only second to Iran. I think there's something like 20 or 30% of Americans uh, think the Bible is literary, literally true and believe like the Noah's Ark story, all these kind of fairy tales and all that sort of stuff in there, these ridiculous outlandish stories. They, they believe they're literally true, uh, creationism, all that kind of stuff. It's all, we're off the map here, except maybe only Iran or maybe some more um, Middle Eastern fundamentalist societies. Um, but yeah, what do you think about the growth and popularity of agnosticism, atheism, and the future of it, you know, the future of religion in our world? I, I welcome it. I think it's good news. But at the same time, many of these people who leave religion then get into some other soft stuff that they're connected to the universe and there are charlatans out there who, who prey on that instead. There's a universe, you connect to the consciousness of the universe and millions of followers and they rake in millions of dollars of people who seek some other form of spiritualism. So there seems to be a great need. Uh, it's unfortunate and the most unfortunate thing is obviously that everybody who prays to God after a bad incident, and uh, by the way, bad incident, if we have free will and there is a natural disaster like an earthquake that kills <laughs> 50,000 people, yeah. who is responsible for that? Right. After the tsunami, 230,000 people died. Nobody blamed God, but they found two survivors within a week and everybody went down on their knees. Where was God the minute before? So let's get to the discussion on evil suffering in the world. I said that, you know, uh, in our pre-call, I've, I've uh, read some of the old philosophers of ancient Greece, Aristotle, Plato. I love ancient or timeless wisdom. Um, you know, can we experience good without evil? Can we experience happiness without uh, sadness? Can we experience justice without injustice or maybe joy without suffering? But uh, I, I think that's a philosophical question. God could make, like you were saying in our pre-call, God could make this the best place ever. We, maybe we could have all goodness and no, no evil. Uh, but there is a lot of evil in our world. So I've, I've kind of read in, in, into this, and I, the way I see it, there's only four options. God is unaware of all the evil in the world. God is aware but powerless to stop it. Uh, God is aware of the evil in the world, but unwilling to stop it. And finally, God deliberately caused all that evil. So, you know, uh, for the religious people, or the, for the people of faith, I, I wonder how they explain the evils of the world. There is a saying by Epicurus, an ancient Greek philosopher as well. And he says similar to what you said. And he said, and if he is capable, but doesn't hinder it, why call him God? <laughs> Which is really the, the end of all of this. Yeah, I, I'm just saying. Since God can, according to Christianity, create a perfect and good life in the hereafter, with no sin, but still with free will. In that case, he can do it here too. And since he knows all outcomes, he doesn't have to test. Which just means, it go back to the theory that I have, God is nothing but a man-made entity, and um, everybody wants their own. 
if there were a God, if there was a God, why didn't he express himself so clearly that we wouldn't need apologetics, that nobody would need to explain? And then they say, well, he wanted to speak to people in the language they understood. This is effing God. <laughs> what is it he cannot tell us? So what they're saying is God is not good enough without their interpretation. And on my Twitter feed, when people go after me, they have this fantastic argument. You're stupid. You don't understand the Bible. I get this a lot. And I say, I hope for you that you pray for God to give you a better and more convincing argument. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, let's go to let's go to science a little bit. Uh, I'm kind of with you. Like I'm agnostic. That's the way I I see it. I don't really know what God is. I don't really understand the concept. I think it's man made. I think the Bible is a collection of stories, not the word of God. Uh, but yeah, if something if something happens, you know, maybe we can talk about miracles a little bit. You know, something that defies the laws of physics. I believe in science. I believe in the laws of physics. But maybe if I experienced some miracle, maybe you know, I would change my mind about it. But I don't believe in miracles. Much like I don't. Can I just interrupt in you and say, I hope I hope the first instance when you decided you have experienced a miracle would be the question: Do I have a psychotic moment? Because <laughs> sure. you cannot. Prove it to anybody. It's yeah. inside of you. And yeah. so that's the first question. Then we come to convincing proof. Why do you think there's a lot of anti-science rhetoric, though, with the religious community? You know, well, anti-global warming, do science and religion at the same time? So the, the new religionists, the philosophers in religion, and um, there are some, I, I, I don't particularly want to name them because it, it's up to them. They can invite me to their podcast and I'd be happy to talk to them. But there's a professor who is a scientist and he has found God in just about everything. Uh, now, if he doesn't, where are we? What is belief about? And the fact of the matter is that they have to believe the following. There is a God that has existed forever and waited billions of years till about 7,000 years ago, less than that. He decided to create a tiny shit planet, which is a grain of sand with a tiny little area in the Middle East and a tiny language and decided to create something so unscientifical in the wrong order that it doesn't work. So just the fact that you posit, so there must be a creator, doesn't make it so. The fact that we cannot say exactly what happened before or after the Big Bang or the universe has been there forever doesn't mean that the explanation is your particular God. And everybody has their own God to explain it. Why is it that the Chinese, let me just get you a little joke. I, I, not joke, but a little funny. There's a Greek God, Atom, A-T-U-M. He created everything with its ejaculate. Oh, that wow. sounds more plausible to yeah. me. And why didn't he do that? But our God, he just talked to himself. He didn't have any better way. He said, oh, let there be light. Boom, there was light. Then he had to pull it from the darkness. There was still no sun. There was vegetation, still no sun. So the unscientificness of that, and if you add to that and say they really meant billions of years, no. He created a flat earth covered by a dome, stars sprinkled for viewing pleasure, the sun going up and down. If God didn't know there was a universe, what did he know? God has failed science. He couldn't go to high school and clear a science class. 
So yeah, a lot of a lot of oppression by the religious community and those in power uh, against Copernicus, who said you know Earth was not the center of the universe, but it was the sun. And obviously now the the modern physicists say there is no center of the universe. Socrates, um, he was uh, uh, you know ruining the minds of the youth in Athens. Uh, he was speaking about his own uh, pagan god, or he didn't believe in you know I guess the the um, the Greek uh, religious practices at the time uh, and kind of had his own philosophies about society and the way things should be. Anyways, he, uh, he had to, to drink the, um, the hemlock, I believe, or whatever he drank, the poison chalice, and he died. Uh, he was persecuted. Galileo, uh, he, he got some flack by the religious community. He had to end his days on house arrest. Uh, all these people um, were maybe way ahead of their time, uh, philosophically, scientifically, uh, but definitely experienced much repression, suppression, um, oppression, you know, by the religious community and by the authorities at their time. It seems like, um, you know, the religious community, they aren't very, um, they don't take, I guess, they don't take criticism or new ideas uh, very well, do they? Well, if it's God's word and you need to abide by it, and you want to be the single interpreter of it, that's what you do. You burn people alive in front of an audience, and they might have continued to do so. And had they had internet, they might have posted it on internet just to show their power in the name of God. The 30 years war started as a religious war. They killed Huguenots. There was nothing, including um, the expulsion from the Iberian Peninsula, including sending people to, uh, as crusaders to kill infidels here and there. It is amazing what you can all allow yourself to do. And yet, Catholics and Protestants have no love lost for each other for the name of the same Jesus, which is, I, I find it completely amazing how so many interpretations can come about and each one equally convinced that they are the ones right. Can't, can't get it. And, and I, if I may, about evil and good, and I, I would like to bring Jesus into this because he's always, do you mind, or... Go ahead. And you don't, yeah. you, didn't, you don't believe that Jesus existed. I'd like to get into that, too. Go ahead and bring Jesus into it. And why don't you think he existed, maybe, too? I'd like to hear about well, that. Well, i got to tell you why. And that is, first of all, the stories in the New Testament are too contradictory. I find it horrendously impossible, or just about impossible, that somebody who was such a revolutionary and miracle worker wouldn't have one line written about him. So I'm going to ask you a question back, and that's a rhetorical question. So he raised a couple of people from the dead. Even in those days, that would have spread enough that somebody would have interviewed him and said, how was it on the other side, my dear fellow? Tell me about it. <laughs> Not a word. Yeah. Not a contemporaneous line about Jesus. And the people who wrote it many years later wrote in educated Greek which proves that they are not the people who were his disciples, although they took names from them because they spoke either Greek or Aramaic. So, but the, the biblical, the New Testament Jesus, who is supposed to be some form of socialist and, and a do-gooder, well, he had some good lines, but they're also terrible lines. He wanted you to hate yourself to be able to follow him. He came with a sword not to bring peace. He was Jewish, he was circumcised, he was a rabbi, he had a Passover meal before he died, he preached to Jews in synagogues. Before Paul, there wouldn't have been anything. If he would have been here today, he wouldn't have understood that there is Christianity. Without Paul, it wouldn't have happened. And by the way, Paul also raised the dead after holding a boring speech 
and a young man fell out of the window. So it's a dime a dozen ought to raise dead and nobody knows about them. It's just, that's completely amazing. So, and Jesus, in the middle of all of this, he was uh, told slaves to go back to work hard for their masters, like the love for him. And he was for status quo. If you're rich, you won't get easily into heaven. You will live a good life now, but it'll be like a camel through the eye of a needle. But if you're poor and meek and a slave, well, you will inherit the earth. Next life. Congratulations. Status quo, live your life as it is. And he said things like this. Good Jesus, he said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, this is so loving. And he also wanted you to cut off a hand and a foot instead of sinning. And, and finally, I must say on this, when God decided, in my mind, a terribly evil act to sacrifice the innocent for the guilty, which God does all the time, he did it in Egypt. All the firstborn and all babies who were innocent were drowned. The same happened, uh, were, were killed. The same happened with the drowning. All innocents were killed. The same happened with King David, whose baby or young son was killed instead of him. And so he decides to forgive the people. And he sits up in heaven and says, how am I going to do this? I could just forgive them. No, that's too easy. <laughs> ah, there's a virgin there and she is engaged. I'm going to get her pregnant by sending down the Holy Ghost for plausible deniability. She's going to have a son. I'm not going to tell her, but he's going to be sacrificed and punished. And then I forgive, forgive the people. What is so good about this? And it's only confirmation bias because it says in John 3.16 that God so loved the people. I say Harry 3.16, <laughs> God so loved this world that he forgave us without any sacrifice. Now, which Christian would now say, oh, God, we can't accept your forgiveness without you sacrificing somebody? So my take is, if you say that sacrificing the innocent is a good thing, I say, maybe you should be prepared to die for my sins. I surely don't want to. So uh, I think there's a lot of like fear, like fear politics, whatever, in religion, like obey. I think the ruling class weaponizes religious religion. It's a good method to control people. So is fear. Uh, and yep. again, we talked about like obedience, you know, obey the rules, obey the commandments, obey your master if you're a slave and you will get into heaven, uh, you know, status quo stuff. So what do you think of that about um, maybe religion being weaponized, fear being weaponized by the ruling class to, you know, keep people in line? Um, do you see that uh, parallel as I see with religion and why I think maybe the rulers of society like it so much and why they put up with it? I think there's an old philosopher who put it something along the following line, and the line is that um, it, is, uh, it is bad for the people and it's useful for the rulers. Um, and, and, you know, you, you can make people believe in just about anything. It, it, there's one area we haven't touched upon, and I, I think it's very important to touch upon what kind of proof is acceptable for God being and who has the burden of proof. Is that something you intend to go into? Uh, go, so, um, this is, this is Napoleon here. Uh, I think this is Napoleon Bonaparte. Religion is excellent stuff for people, for keeping the common people quiet. Religion Absolutely. is what keeps the poor from murdering the rich. Interesting. Yeah. Napoleon's got a lot of hot takes. Uh, I was looking for one in particular. Uh, but yeah, I think all throughout history, you can kind of find rulers, people in power, um, you know, using religion to their advantage. Mm. 
do you mind if I go in a little bit about sort of what kind of proof would be required sure. to, to say God? So let's start with the proposition that God appears in the minds of a few people who then have such fantastic experiences that they say, you have to believe what I believe. But their God has yet not been able to convince me. And so if God were to heal all the sick in the world overnight and empty the hospitals and at the same time regrow missing limbs, which he has made salamanders able to do, fine. Not us. Not us. Not us for some reason. So I say to these people when they don't understand, they want me then to prove beyond reasonable doubt that there is not their God, while they say that they don't have to prove that mine isn't. So what I say to them, there are two things that they that I'm willing to allow them to prove. One, Jesus, invisible to anybody but me, is hiding in my closet and refuses to come out. You can prove it or disprove it as you like. The other one is, the universe was created by Tinkerbell by pixie dust. You can choose to prove it or disprove it. Right. Those statements, those assertions, had the same value objectively as anything written in any holy book. Yeah, Descartes talked about that, like some evil demon, you know, like this created the world, uh, uh, and, you know, it's all like a big test, you know, and, and maybe it was just created five minutes ago, like, you know, we have the perception that we've been around, and I've been around for 30 plus years, and, uh, you know, but no, no, the universe was created five seconds ago by an evil demon, you just think that, you know, or what about the dinosaur bones? Oh, no, the dinosaur bones, they were buried by this, uh, you know, evil demon to kind of, um, you know, to throw us off the path, that sort of thing, or to make us you know, believe, you know, one thing or the other. But that story is just as good as any story in the Bible. And I think you mentioned about, um, you know, Jesus being born to uh, a virgin. And I think there's like, there's a number of similarities between Jesus, which is what I know best. I don't know too much about uh, Judaism, the Abrahamic religions outside of Christianity or uh, Islam. But I think there's like dozens, if not more, um, similar stories to like the Jesus story, who, you know, as a historical figure may not have existed. I have my doubts as well. But, you know, being being able to walk on water, being able to um, cure the blind and help them see again, being born to a virgin, all that sort of thing. I think around the world, there's dozens of religions throughout human history that have these similarities. Plenty. Yeah. Yeah. And and so here we come to. Uh, I mean, there's a joke about Jesus coming up to heaven after having been crucified and he nags his father, send me down again. Please send me down again. I have so much more to accomplish. And God says, you effed it up, you effed it up, you stay here. Dead is dead. No, 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 send me down. And he lands at the lake of uh, uh, Galilee and the fisherman recognizes him and he has two people in his fishing boat who uh, don't believe. And he said, you're Jesus. And he says, yes. And you walk on water. And he says, yes, let's show them. I'll pick you up. Drop you off behind the boat, and these people will believe. Good, says Jesus. They drop him off, and he sinks like a stone. He's up with God again. The two fishermen are laughing, and God says, Son, I told you to be careful. Why did you do this? He said, But just last week I could walk on water. Yeah, he says, That was before you were crucified. Now you have holes in your feet. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, Um, so, I mean, you know, Christianity is built on a number of biological impossibilities and witnesses that are not contemporaneous. You think about that for a moment and ask yourself, why do they have to hang on to it for dear life? It is because impossibilities are impossibilities. I could tell you a story about some other impossibility and you wouldn't believe me. And it's not more credible because it's a couple of thousand years old. What do you think about religion generally? Uh, Is it a net positive, a net negative? I mean, so many crimes 
throughout history have been committed uh, for a religion. You know, the Crusades, maybe the, you know, the violence going on in Israel-Palestine. Um, just so many, you know, things maybe attributed to differences, uh, religions, even, you know, groups that believe in the same God, violence between, you know, different groups who pray to the same God. Do you think it's a net positive, a net negative? Do you think it should be abolished? Or do you think re- religious tolerance is a good thing? How do, how do you feel about those things? Well, first of all, I have difficulty claiming or making the assertion. I've been interviewed about this in England on several occasions, in radio and other. My take is parents educate their children. Unless it's completely way out there, the state should not get involved. I don't want the state to educate children. Whether I like it or not is a different story. I am not the controller of what people are allowed to believe or not to believe. What I'm allowed to object to and what I allow myself to object to is when people of a certain faith want me to believe what they believe. I wrote an opinion piece that I published in a Swedish magazine, translated and, and I put it on um, Reddit. And my take is about the following. There are about one billion Hindus that don't eat meat because beef, because cows are holy. There's no Muslim that doesn't allow himself not to eat beef because Hindus believe that. Yet, they don't want to allow me to draw a cartoon of the prophet without violence. And we have seen knifing and killings because of that. Because they believe that. Why do I have to abide? So what is forbidden for you is forbidden for you, not for me. And here's, I think, the take we need to take away from this. Believe whatever you like. But once you try to take political power away from me because you have a belief, and that goes for everywhere in the world. In Israel, I'm very upset with the fact that the religious nutcases, a few percent of the population, have control over family law. Why? So we're just two people. I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm not religious. I've never really been religious. I do like Zen Buddhism. I think people have said that it's very tolerant of science and scientific ideas, the universe, that sort of thing. Uh, I love books on Zen. I think it helps helps me relax, you know, thinking about your thoughts, nirvana, just existing without desire, just being. Some of that stuff appeals to me. Um, What doesn't appeal to me is talking about religion with people that are um, you know, radical, that are fundamentalists, that believe um, very strongly one way or the other. Like, I'm a, I'm a man of science. I believe if new information uh, becomes available, like you, that maybe I would change my tune on religion. Why do you think it is, though, that, um, you know, we could have this discussion where two rational people getting philosophical about religion, but why do you think it makes people get so angry and upset and triggers them, you know, when we have these types of discussions with uh, believers and that kind of stuff? Well, it's a very good question. Of course, it's difficult to philosophize about it. It's different for different people. Much of it comes from indoctrination. There is a board of, I'm going to even call it right out, there's a kind of Stockholm syndrome. That is, you live in a bubble and you don't know it and you act as if you're the only one who knows the truth. And, you know, not admitting that, that's why deconversion is so difficult. And I know many who have and have had great difficulty. It is because you have to admit that you were delusional before. And, and people are not ready to do that. So hanging on for dear life to even the worst of impossibilities. But looking at it from the point of view, how does it come about? Well, if you look at biblical or other holy texts, it seems obvious that men, man, put their thoughts, send them up to God, 
ask for his permission, import them a little holier, so allow them to do the craziest things. And you, you can even go to America, where I don't live, but I'm noting from afar, we have Amy Coney Barrett, who is oh, a yeah. new... Yeah, I was very... New, yeah. yeah, I oppose her getting on the Supreme Court big time. I well, think right from the get-go, we all knew she's there to overturn Roe v. Wade. And actually, I just watched a PBS documentary on Mitch McConnell and you know, essentially stacking the Republican you know, extremist right-wing judges here in America for the last 10 or 15 years. And we're going to have these judges in the Supreme Court for at least the next generation, and they're appointed for life, not elected. It's ridiculous. Don't get me fired up and triggered, Harry. <laughs> I, I'm not going to get you fired up, but I'm going to use it in a very simplistic way to demonstrate what's wrong with the belief people claim to have. She belongs to a Catholic sect who definitely believes that a woman is subordinate to man, should not teach man, and should not rule over men. And I've tweeted about this, and I've asked the following question. In what universe does somebody... The irrespective of her legal knowledge and her qualifications, who believe she cannot rule over men, become a supreme justice. That's enough for me. In other words, she doesn't believe what she claims to believe when it doesn't fit her beliefs. What a hypocrite. Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, what do you think about truth, knowledge? Uh, so many things in the universe we can't explain. So many mysteries out there. Um, I think religion, I, I, I don't like any of them. I, I view them all the same, although I do have a soft spot for Zen Buddhism. Uh, I think there uh, doesn't seem to be too much violence carried out. I mean, I don't know. I'm no expert. But uh, I remember in Vietnam, like, um, the there was a monk who set himself on fire as a protest against the um, – against the uh, – essentially like an apartheid type state, you know, where a small minority was governing over the majority. Uh, and that was his peaceful protest, lighting himself on fire. I wouldn't say that that's necessarily the way I would go about things, but definitely got a, a lot of people's attention for sure. in, in protesting that, uh, uh, injustice of the government, uh, that was going on there. Very, it was a, a story as the, uh, also the picture on the rage against the machine album cover. Uh, but I think it was like the most famous picture or something along those lines. If you know what I'm talking about, um, is essentially a monk on fire with his just sitting peaceful. So I don't think all religions, I, I, I view that all religions are basically there to, ex, to have an explanation for the things that we don't understand. I think that they're all pretty much in the same category, they're, they're trying to control beliefs, uh, and I, I totally oppose any violence, you know, carried out by, uh, in the name of a god or a religion for sure. Uh, and, yeah, I think, I don't know uh, Zen Buddhism as much, but it seems to me that there's not, like, a long history like there is with Islam and Christianity of, um, you know, crusades and people carrying out violence in the name of it. Uh, but generally, though, again, maybe... Uh, religion, I, I see it as all pretty similar, and it's all basically in trying to explain the un, un, unexplainable, you know what I mean? And that, that's why I like to get back to my philosophical studies about truth, knowledge, what is known, what can be known. So I'd prefer to go to science than religion yep. and dogma. You will like this one. There's an organization of Christian doctors and dentists. And they're I saw private. you tweeted this. Yeah, you tweeted yeah. this the other day. And I yeah. tweeted this, and I said... Should we get to know who these people are, Alice, so we know to avoid people who add the supernatural to the signs they claim they use in order to make us better? I mean, this is sorry. If you're a doctor and you know how things come about, you cannot really believe in creation. And if you do, tough. 
if you claim that you believe in science but allow creationism to creep in, why did God allow a snake to talk against him and convince Eve, knowing all of this ahead of time? Uh, so if you believe in a talking snake and a talking, talking donkey but are against <laughs> science, yeah. you've lost it. You've lost me at least. And that disallows you. I mean, there are, you know, the people who have the, the ark exhibit, etc. As if, you know, this ark, our engineers tell us, couldn't float. And here's a question for you. Did God look out and make it sure that there was a time when no small boats, fishing boats were out because they might also have survived? And you, you mentioned before, which I really liked when you brought up the dinosaurs. Here's what you have to believe. Some few thousand years ago, God decided in an anger fit to drown every human except one family. And two, a pair of animals, sometimes seven pairs of animals. So and everyone was saved. So including the dinosaurs. Why the hell did God save the dinosaurs on the ark just to have them killed off as soon as they came away from the ark? What is the use of this? Does God not know what he's doing? Does God not know that he's going to have an anger fit? Here's another one. So after the drowning, God decides he's never, ever going to do that again. So what does he do? He creates the rainbow as a reminder. Now listen, what kind of reminder does God need? So if, if you look at that, that and, and the people who are so happy with the fact that God created all of this in six days, which we have explained is scientifically impossible. He could have created it in a nanosecond of a nanosecond. Why didn't he? Why did he need six days? Why did he need to rest? Why does he have prescription of how to beat a slave? And if he survives one or two days, why are female slaves treated worse than male slaves? Why are the provisions in Judaism, similar in Islam uh, and Christianity, that if you defeat an enemy, you can kill all of them, but save the virgins. I'm just wondering what reason could there be other than sex slaves? Maybe it is to keep the virginity alive for a long time, which just reminds me of the virgins that the Shahids get, the ones who go to Muslim heaven. And I wonder if they know that these virgins have a physical description. They have beautiful breasts, beautiful eyes. They have eyebrows and hair on their head, no other places. And here's the sexy part. They are see-through to the bone. Now, if I want to get with a woman like that, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. That is, <laughs> I wouldn't want to F a skeleton. No, that sounds... Not... Speaking of uh, skeletons in the spine... Uh, I'm in healthcare. Half the population has back pain, at least in the last year or so. Uh, the spine, not well designed. Uh, we talked in the pre-call a little bit. The spine could have been made out of stainless steel or something, you know, a little bit better. You know, I have better. a TikTok. I have a TikTok about this. What could God have created? And my TikTok is: Is this the best God have created? And I'm pointing to myself. He could have created us with white titanium teeth. Never have to go to the dentist. He could have created us with a stainless steel skeleton never to have to break down on the inside, with skin that's impregnable. He could have made us live on air alone, which he could have done. And if he didn't want to have any of this, he could have created us with 100% combustion so we didn't have to go to the toilet. A human engineer is asked to do his best. God is forgiven no matter how bad his creation is. And not only that is bad, God must have given us a tailbone just to check which ones of us 
were willing to believe in the not willing to believe in 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 evolution but still willing to be believing in creation so he gave us a tailbone to check which ones are not willing to do the right belief what is this why do we have a tailbone which also is not sitting in the right place um you're in your book here we're afraid of being descendants of monkeys but not incest i guess that's kind of a reference to noah's ark i mean there there's only no, no, what, it, one it, set it, of us well it's very easy first of all it's not monkeys it is because we are descendants of pre-monkeys as a matter of fact we all come from fish we come from fish to pigs to rats then to pre-monkeys to pre-apes and then we so that's evolution the same yeah, we people, all crawled out of the ocean, right? At some point, we yeah, all yeah, crawled yeah, out of the yeah, ocean. Yeah, absolutely. We, came, uh, we started as fish. We know that because of, by the way, I don't know if you know that, there's something called the laryngeal nerve. And the laryngeal nerve goes to the larynx from the brain and takes a slight detour in humans and back up to the larynx. In the fish, the similar nerve has the shortest way to go. In, in um, giraffes, the detour is 4.6 meters for it to go back to the larynx, which is only because bad steps in evolution. Why would God have created this idiotic diversion? He didn't. He didn't create. That's the answer. But if you want to believe it, you will find all reasons in the world to make it credible that this is better an explanation. And there are some professors who are scientists, one who who claims that God must have been there forever because without him, nothing can have existed. And so that God, who has been there forever, as I said, waited billions of years till he created in this small space. And, and for me, the proof of, of God, which is what people refuse to say, I don't know if we touched about this on this, but that is sort of the worst part of it. I have a, tweeted about this and I've written about this. I will assert to you that Jesus, invisible to anybody but me, is hiding in my closet and refuses to come out. You can prove or disprove it. Or I will just assert that I have a revelation that the universe was created by Tinkerbell from pixie dust. Those assertions have the same evidential value as anybody who says, I read this in one book, and I say I read it in another book. Why isn't Harry Potter the savior of everybody? And why are the Harry Potter witnesses, Harry Potter witnesses, who saw him fly on a broomstick, considered to be part of the story, while the witnesses who are not contemporaneous, who are told about after, saw Jesus do these miracles, and nobody has investigated what they risen from the dead. Why? Why don't we have any contemporaneous story? And by the way, this might interest you. There are two genealogies of Jesus in the New Testament. Both go over King David, which is a prerequisite for being the Messiah. They go from di over different sons of King David. One of the lines were extinguished. They forgot about that. Then they go further down to different fathers of Joseph and then to Joseph, the husband of Mary. Now, what's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture is Joseph has the line, the lineage to King David. And so either there's a human lineage or it's God. It's either Messiah or the Son of God. Cannot be both. You pick. <laughs> and they couldn't even get that right. That right. 
A lot of inconsistencies, errors. Yeah, like I said, I've, I've never been much into uh, the Bible. I, it's very dry. It's not entertaining. I would not compare it to any of the great philosoph- uh, philosophical works I've read. Certainly not the great literary works, uh, you know, Shakespeare, that sort of thing. Uh, I don't think it was well written. It was a collection of stories uh, and not well done. What do you think about um, separation uh, from of, of church and state? So I don't care much about the Bible. I don't really care much about uh, religious texts, biblical texts. I'm an anarchist, so uh, I like to um, expose unjust power systems and break them down and make them more just. So uh, I, I'm in favor of democracy. I actually think in the long view, I, I oppose the nation states. I think they're just as violent, if not more violent, than maybe these religious crusades uh, throughout history, that kind of stuff. So uh, I don't think there's any mention of it, though. I'm no constitutional law scholar, although, again, the Constitution, I don't care about some document written by slave owners by a cold, dead hand. I don't really care what they said 300 years ago. I know a lot of people in America take it seriously. I don't. Uh, and I also don't take the Bible seriously. But again, I don't believe there's a mention of church, separation of church and state uh, in the um, Constitution. Although, I think there should be uh, the separation of church and state. I also don't believe that Israel should exist. I don't believe a Jewish state should exist. Just like I don't think a Christian state like America, you know, what some people think here, uh, should exist. I, I like democracy uh, when whatever the people decide, I'm in favor of, and the majority rules, and um, religious tolerance, I think, is a good thing, although I'm agnostic and an atheist, so if you if you don't want to believe in anything, here's something you might not know. In many states here in the United States, if you are an atheist, you can't even hold public office. I think right here in Texas is one. I believe Pennsylvania as well. So there's a lot of uh, oppression for atheists and agnostics in the world, especially here in the United States, but I'm sure all over it. So again, let's Let's just kind of the general question here definitely uh, gets people riled up. Separation of church and state. I think that's a good thing. What say you? Absolute is an absolute necessity. If secular forces wouldn't have wrested power from church, we would have still lived under the most worst rules ever. And the only way you can look at this when you talk about nation states, all the Muslim states, what is true Islam? Is it the Taliban? Is it Iran? Is it Saudi Arabia? Is it Syria? They hate each other, but the one thing they have in common is oppression and misogyny. So there's a couple of things you said I don't agree with. I don't want to become political. I must say that nation states have one thing for them, and that is they can and are there to protect their um, citizens. And, And having absolutely open borders for everybody under any circumstances and nothing around the world would do nothing but allow the worst elements to take charge. And I'm a believer in the fact that every system you make up will find the worst elements to abuse it, whether it's a tax system, the contribution system, a government handouts, and then in the end it becomes unaffordable. So I would say to all the people who stand with the sign, gays and lesbian for a free Palestine, fine. Just go to Gaza, to any of the surrounding countries with the same sign and see how you survive. I would also say to anybody who is all in favor of one side of this argument, um, why don't you try Sharia for one week and see what you feel? So there is a problem, and that is theocracy that we had a couple of hundred years ago, they still have. And why? Because the ruling classes, together with the clerical classes, I found a cheaper way of controlling the populace. 
That's an easy way to control. And the United States actually allies with dictators throughout the world, especially religious fundamentalist states like Saudi Arabia and uh, Israel as well. I don't support the, the government, the flawed government, the rogue government uh, of Israel, just like I do not support the terrorist acts carried out by Hamas. And I don't support the government of Iran. I don't support the government of Saudi Arabia. I don't support any government because I'm an anarchist. So I'm all about the people. I'm all about the people, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm about. Uh, I think we'll have a little bit different views on politics. Although I do uh, agree with you. You know, any power system is corruptible, and usually the worst elements tend to come to power. So no matter what, uh, I think Aristotle raised this question, and it still hasn't been um, fully um, well articulated or defended. Uh, who should govern? You know, uh, of course, Plato and Aristotle and the people that write about who should govern, they're always included in that class. Plato wrote that uh, we should be ruled by philosopher kings. And who was Plato but a philosopher? And maybe he wanted to be made a king. So uh, anyone that writes about who should govern, you got to be very skeptical because they always include themselves. Which is what Christian denominations do. They always believe that when they have won this, it is their denomination that we rule. What about if one day Islam becomes a majority or big enough to actually stack the Supreme Court with their own people? And then they will be very unhappy. So they they don't think about the consequences. My understanding, though, of the American Constitution is that um, government should stay away and church should stay away from government. So it it is one of the few constitutions. I mean, Madison and, and some of the people from back then couldn't really be called Christians. They were, I mean, one of them cut up the Bible to make it his own Bible and took away all the bad parts. And if you do that, there's not much left of it. And slavery is a biblical thing, but not only. It has existed in Africa since, I don't know, beginning of time, long before whites took that over. And being a white older man beyond middle age, I find it a bit offensive to blame every bad thing in the world on white middle-aged men. There's a lot of good that white middle-aged men have done for the world. And uh, one of them is actually to have brought Western liberal culture. So since you seem to be for an open world, I would posit the following as a rhetorical question. I am not a cultural relativist. I am for cultural appropriation because that's the only way we move forward. And I would say... I would love for the Taliban to appropriate some Western liberal culture, but I wouldn't love to have it imported here. So that's my take on that. There are cultures that are different and there are culture we should be really looking for. You should probably read my piece on Reddit. It's called Islamophobia, Christophobia, and free freedom of expression. Yeah, I'm, I think we view, view things very similarly, maybe a little bit different on the politics. I'm in favor of democracy, and in the long run, I'm hoping that borders and arbitrary governments will dissolve. Uh, I think democracy is best, although it can be flawed as well. Aristotle and James Madison ruled that. Uh, actually, Madison, the main framer of the Constitution, wrote that government should be the opulent minority. Should, it, government should protect the opulent yep. minority from the majority. So essentially status quo, those with wealth and power should be protected by government. And it is, and it does. That's what it does. Um, but yeah, in favor of, um, I like anarcho-syndicalism. So I want a society maybe loosely affiliated with uh, federated states, um, you know, without uh, standing armies. Uh, and I want society uh, democratically organized around uh, maybe the workplace. That's anarcho-syndicalism. Or perhaps around uh, local communities. I want to see arbitrary borders 
unjust governments, uh, racist regimes, uh, religious regimes, and standing armies. I want all that stuff uh, to dissolve and dismantled. Um, but that's, what I, that's, what, that's my long view. Um, we can get into it, but that might have to be for another podcast. Let's go to free will. We talked about a little bit of free will on the, um, on the uh, pre-call here. So I think that Robert Sapolsky, Stanford, I've read some stuff on free will by him. I had uh, Dr. Jeff on. He's a neuroscientist. We talked about free will a little bit. I think he tends to think it does not exist. He, I think he would believe uh, some of the stuff Sapolsky talks about. Sapolsky is a biologist, studied uh, primates. Um, but I, I think that it exists without free will. Uh, we have, a, we have a, uh, determined universe, you know, it's, it, it was all predetermined, uh, our entire lives were predetermined before we were even born. Some of the research like fMRI studies, there's like a motor cortex, it, it tends to light up prior to us going to reach for an object, or maybe if we're going to talk or speak about something, the region of the brain in those fMRI studies lights up prior to, you know, what you're going to say. So it happens in the brain before you even think it. Um, so I don't think that that is an argument against free will. I think it just pushes it back a little bit. So that's the way I see it. Uh, I think what human beings, we can understand random. We can understand, uh, maybe a mechanical universe, a predetermined uh, universe where, uh, you know, everything is organized and, you know, maybe, uh, happens, uh, because of, you know, some, uh, you know, divine creator, right? But maybe there's something in the middle that we don't quite understand. Maybe there's something that's not random, it's not predetermined, but something else. And I think that's kind of the realm where free will kind of operates. There are several levels of free will. And that's one of the really big questions. Sam Harris seems to also be in the camp against um, a belief in free will. The first thing I would say is, Society, at least Western society, collapses if we don't have free will because then nobody's responsible for anything and anything goes. I tend to agree with you. The fact that it lights up before just proves that there's a thought coming up and something is going to be acted on. It could be that it just pushes back. I'm not a neuroscientist, so I don't know. So I am in concentrating on the free will according to religions. And that I have really big difficulty with. The first context is I give you free will, says God, but then if you don't do what I want, you're going to burn in hell forever. That's not free. Don't know what that means. The second part of this is God is so eager to protect free will that he allows all kinds of evil and everything to happen. But then he doesn't balance. Whose free will does he protect? It seems he only protects the free will of the perpetrators, which he did on 9-11, not, bal- not balancing that against the victims and the free will of the people who died and the economy of the U.S. was all- almost destroyed. He did the same with the Nazis, protected the free will of the Nazis and left people being killed and their free-, free will alone. Why? So free will, from a religious point of view, you can just discard. There's no such thing. Or God is completely incapable and everybody, of course, believes that it is their version of what free will and their interpretation. Some people say then, well, and this is the one I hear often from religious, the religious crowd, well, atheists have done more harm and more killing than religions. I doubt that. By the way, Hitler said he did this in his own writing in the name of God. Did Jesus work? The, the SS had belt buckles that said uh, that it was God's work, that it was for God. Now, 
even if atheists are evil, where is God protecting his beloved people, the people who believe in him, as if he's incapable to penetrate the minds of an unbeliever? So all these people do is they move the goalposts away to other areas. Either they say God is impotent or he can do it. If he can do it, he should have protected the victims of anybody, including atheists. Or if he can't do it, it is very likely he just doesn't exist. Yeah, a lot of catastrophic um, events, violence, natural disasters. Uh, why would uh, God subject us to those things? He could easily stop it, uh, certainly stop genocide, natural disasters, hurricanes, all kinds of bad stuff. Again, the root of evil. No one uh, with faith has ever done a good job of um, explaining why it exists if he can stop it. Like you said, maybe it's just impotent. Um, let's go to, um, yeah, like you said about free will, you know, Western society would collapse. I'm in favor of uh, defunding the police, maybe even abolishing it, but I like democracy, so whatever the community says, I'm in favor of certainly jails, uh, mass incarceration here in the United States. We lead the world in it, but uh, let's set a po- set politics aside. Uh, without free will, we can't, um, you know, place responsibility on the actions of others. It was, uh, you know, always predetermined that that person was going to commit that crime, so there would be no reason to uh, assess responsibility or blame for criminal acts. We don't need jails, uh, a legal system, uh, or even police, maybe. Uh, so, like you said, I think Western um, society would collapse if um, people didn't take free will seriously. I think everyone believes in free will. Uh, if we didn't, why would we have this discussion to try to t- maybe uh, change the minds of people? You know, I think people that were listening to this podcast, maybe there are some people of faith that are listening, and maybe we've made some good arguments that they uh, can consider now. Uh, maybe not, but, uh, you know, if we didn't believe in free will, there would be no reason to have this kind of discussion. You know what I mean? Free discussions are one way of just looking at the way of free will. And I must say, debate and discussion to me are very important. I like followers I don't agree with because I know my own opinion already. I learn more from people I don't agree with. And I think that sort of had disappeared in all this kind of victimhood we are now playing. You don't want to know anything that doesn't comport with your own ideas. You'll be poorer for it. And I think the openness of being able to listen to others, you can listen and not agree. You shouldn't, as a student, uninvite people you don't agree with to university. If there's any place in the world where you should listen to any voice, it's there. You can dismiss it, but let them speak. You will never learn to argue. And if you are only going to learn all-inclusive terminology in the world, while the Chinese, the Japanese, the Indians, the... Uh, Koreans learn to actually do engineering, where are we going to be in 50 years? So there are many consequences of opening up, but that's an entirely different discussion outside religion. You touched on it, so I just posited it. We can do that another time next year. Let's, uh, I just got a couple kind of silly, funny questions. I had a, uh, I had Dorit on, uh, she is, she was great. I had her on Thursday. She's kind of more into like the Eastern philosophy kind of stuff. I like Western philosophy. Uh, Western philosophy tends to have like a beginning and an end, that sort of stuff. Whereas, you know, uh, maybe Eastern philosophy is more like repetitive cycles. Cycles of the universe is actually what I call the podcast. Um, but what do you think about like the big bang and the, and the creation of the universe? Uh, if you believe some of the physicists, we're going to have like a big rip where the universe will die to be pulled in a dead place. All the stars will burn out. Do you think that the universe has to have like I think the big bang theory 
Uh, I think it's, I'm just as skeptical of that, although I think there's a lot better arguments and science behind it than, you know, the universe was just created by a god. You know what I mean? I'm skeptical of both. Perhaps the Big Bang is the way it happened, although we're not even very good at predicting the weather. Uh, what, what makes us think that, you know, physicists can come up with some explanation for how everything was created for 14 0.7 billion years ago, I think that's the number. I had a physicist on not too long ago, maybe two months ago. Uh, but what do you think about, like, time? Is it relevant? Is it relative, excuse me? Is it infinite? Is it finite? Will the universe have a beginning and an end? Uh, well, I think Einstein was in favor of a universe that always existed, that was infinite, that was just kind of always there, just kind of like this homeostatic kind of universe just always existed, always there. Um, I don't think he was a big believer in the Big Bang either. Um, I think it's compelling, some of the work being done. I think there was the inflationary theory, too, like how it expanded and defied all the laws of physics. I think, um, you know, the early universe... I think none of the laws of physics applied to it for some reason. Why is that? That's an inconsistency that I challenge. So I'll just kind of throw those questions back at you. What do you think about the Big Bang, time? Is it relevant? Is it infinite? Is it uh, finite? Will the universe exist forever or does it have a beginning and an end? I think this is kind of the difference between Eastern and maybe a Western philosophical kind of view. Can I start by just criticizing the Eastern philosophies a bit? And that is, if everything is circular... And there isn't a straight line going to somewhere. There's no reason to do anything because it is, you're just going to go in circles anyway. So straight lines make a difference. I think you ask a question that has two different answers. And that is, is the Big Bang the beginning or has the universe been there forever? Those two are not necessarily the same thing. There could have been a universe forever. And the Big Bang is one of the pulses that occur in this forever universe. We have been able to trace this back to about a thousandth of a second after the Big Bang. The only thing we don't know is exactly how that happened. I just say, I don't know. That doesn't lead me to say it must be supernatural, so there must be a God. That is one of the silliest explanations for it. In my own mind, I've tried the following explanation to myself and i'm not a physicist you will have to put it in the in the back of of the knowledge thing let's assume there's an x-axis and a y-axis around the x-axis there is a an oscillation that goes under emc square where a tiny grain of sand has so much energy in it because it's m times the light speed of the light square everything so if it oscillates up and down the x-axis and if you flatten it all out, there would be nothing. That is, the universe is nothing. We just happen to exist for a number of billion years, for ourselves a couple of hundred thousand years, on one of these oscillations that make us seem to exist in a universe that when it's flattened all out, is nothing. Not saying this is a physicist explanation, yeah. but I'm just trying to say that even that does not allow me to say it must be God. There are other explanations, and one of them is there's a number of oscillations that lead to Big Bang type of events, and so the time as we know it starts there. If I may a little bit jokingly go back to say, since some people say, well, time travel, and here's, here's my little take on that. Time travel. You travel 10 minutes backwards in time, pick yourself up, Travel both of you 10 minutes again backwards in topic four of two. And then you do that till you have about a billion of you. Yeah. Of course, it's ridiculous. 
And the same thing is... I'd come back and take over the world if there's a billion of me. We'd we'd, we'd overthrow the governments all over this place. (laughs) Absolutely. And going the other way does the same thing. You go forward and meet your great-grandchildren who are not conceived yet. Come on. So let's leave that alone. And that goes on the same burner as religious belief that the explanation is only God can have done it. I don't believe that. And the fact that I can say openly, I don't know, I tried to study it, and I know we have come very, very close to that bang. It's the best explanation we have until proven differently, or I'll kid God comes out and tells me, this is how I did it, and shows me and everybody else by a picture on the sky, I will wait and hold my breath. We're almost out of time here. Uh, I do have a book by Lawrence Krauss, uh, Universe from Nothing. I find it interesting. Uh, the multiverse theory is essentially, you know, we're just one universe of many, although the whole idea of the universe uh, is supposed to explain everything. So uh, I think it's just kind of a cop-out, the multiverse idea, although it does sound interesting. But uh, if I've read some physics books and understand them, I think that we're a- unable to, you know, travel outside of our universe. It'll be impossible. Maybe there's the wormhole. Uh, but, you know, in terms of our bodies, our limitations. I don't think we're ever traveling outside the solar system, certainly not outside of our galaxy. So I don't think there's really any reason to even uh, think about the multiverse because I don't think we're ever going to be able to test that theory. Uh, But we have less than two minutes to go here, it looks like. Um, Harry, go ahead. The stage is yours. Um, let's, let's catch up in the future. Maybe we'll do this again. We had a great discussion today. Was there anything you'd like to plug? Where can people find you? Uh, why don't you talk about your book that you've written and maybe you have some more in the works. I think you were talking about some writing. So you got about a minute or two. Go ahead. I have a one in Swedish coming up. The one I have already published is available on Amazon. It's called, why is it? We are descendants of monkeys. We're afraid of being descendants of monkeys, but not incest. The one in Swedish will be a shorter one. I might translate it to English eventually. And the title will be something like, Is God Hell Knows? And it's a small chapter about not everything there. I think I am less important in this than the philosophy. It was a very nice philosophical discussion. And I must say, I laud you for the fact that there are many areas we don't agree on. This is the way a conversation should be held. There was no violence. There was no threats. There was nothing angry here. And the fact that you and I have different views on things makes us better understanding other points of view. Let that be my final word. Awesome, my friend. Let's stay in touch. I think we actually think see things very similarly, although maybe a little bit uh, different on some areas. But honestly, I think we're pretty. I think we're pretty right on with the way we view the world. So it was a great discussion. I learned a lot from you as well. Let's stay in contact and uh, do it again sometime. Send me a link, please, when it's going. Will do. Have a great day. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Necessary Illusions. also want to thank my special guest, Harry Margulies, for a great discussion on philosophy of God and religion. Again, I am your host, MC Squared. No gods, no masters. I'm out. Oh, 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 oh,